Hello and welcome back to the Clark and Miller English Podcast. I'm Gabriel from Clark and Miller, a website where which you could find by simply going to clarkandmiller.com. Clark like Clark Kent, Miller like the beer. Um, yeah, welcome back. Um, and if you're a first-time listener, welcome. Just welcome. And yeah, today, today we've got some fun and weird and interesting stuff to look at, as usual. Um, yeah, so we're going to look um, very quickly at um, basically verbs, English verbs, and and how they behave. Um, in usually, you know, when you learn learn about the stuff at school or in a lot of courses, like you do, get a lot of. Um, basic explanations you know how many times you've been told that the past simple describes events that happened in the past and the present continuous describes events that are happening now maybe even just for the future but um what we're going to do is look at them in a slightly different way um i read a book by um a really smart guy called uh, mike lewis and uh, he has such a sort of eureka moment way of looking uh, looking at the English language. And um, I wanted to basically share the insights I got from the book with him, from him, with you today. So let's just get started. We're going to look at uh, different ways of looking at verbs. Here we go. So, first of all, before we get started, I just want you to imagine making some soup. You're making nice tomato soup. Now, some people, when they make a tomato soup, they're happy with just the tomato, you know, and the water, like basically pure tomato soup. And that's fine. It's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but, you know, you might want to add a little like a, a personal touch to the soup or make it a bit more interesting. Um, and how can you do this? You can do this by uh, adding something, extra stuff, stuff that basically starts to put some of yourself into the soup, give it a personal touch, a character that uh, that suits you. Uh, so it might be onion or it might be spices or it might be um, pepper or whatever, whatever it is. Um, so you've got the tomato soup, pure tomato soup, which you can have just pure. That's fine. Or you can add some character and flavour to it. Okay, right. So obviously, this is a metaphor. And what is this a metaphor for? Well, today I want to look at um, English verbs from two different angles. Um, and two different types of, of uh, forming English verbs. On one hand, you've got pure forms. You know, absolutely 100% pure forms. This is obviously the tomato of the tomato soup. Uh, these are just facts. Nothing more, nothing less. Pure, undividable facts. Um, and on the other side, you've got aspect forms. Uh, these add an extra layer of meaning uh, related to time. They give a sort of personal interpretation of time. So you could have uh, something happening, an event happening, and you can describe it in two ways, and it could still be the same event, but the different ways you're describing it give you a different interpretation. Um, it it rained, or it was raining. Like 
classic example. Um, they're both describing the same event, but with it rained, you're you're providing one sort of interpretation of it, a very simple, pure interpretation of it. And it was raining. You're you're adding some aspect of time, and you're giving it some shape, or to use the soup metaphor, you're giving it some flavour. Okay, so yeah, let's just go through these one by one. Um, yeah, let's look at the pure forms first. So we've got these timeless and objective facts. Let's look at pure forms first of all. So this is the tomato in the tomato soup. Um, now, a typical uh, example of a pure form tense would be what we call the present symbol. What we what grammar books and school books and stuff, and what we, uh, we still actually call the present symbol. Um, but uh, it's a misleading name, really, the present simple, because, you know, we use it in lots of non-presenty ways. Um, you could say uh, we use it like we were just sitting around and playing backgammon when Tyler suddenly walks in and starts shouting at us. Um, what about when we say the show starts at, at seven o'clock or... Uh, then I mix the vinegar into the salad and I add four slices of avocado. All of these, they're not necessarily really about the present at all. Even things like wood floats on water is not really about the present. It's a misnamed tense. So what is it really about? If it's not a present thing, what is it? So I'm going to give you another metaphor. Uh, I, this is going to be a metaphor-thick uh, podcast, just so you know. Be warned, be braced, be ready. So I want you to imagine yourself uh, in a museum. Uh, you're looking into a glass case at an old vase, an ancient vase, um, and then you're just looking at it. Uh, you have no connection with the vase. vase. It's not really affecting you in any way, and you're not affecting, affecting it it's just there. If you leave the room, the vase will still be there existing. You have no influence on each other. And this is basically what the present simple is like, in my, in my imagination at least. This is how I imagine it. It's just totally pure, 100% pure. It's an objective, single fact. No opinions, no interpretations, no flavour. It's cold and and real and factual. Um, Mike Lewis in the book uh, basically describes it as a timeless objective fact, complete and undivided and immediate uh, rather than remote. Yeah, so it's, it's this sort of distant, pure thing. Yeah, so we've got things like wood floats on water. It's just a simple objective fact. Um, it's not related to time. It's timeless. Uh, and it's also binary. It's either true or it isn't. There's no grey area here. Not in terms of like the grammar and what the grammar is expressing. Um, and also it doesn't depend on you. Human beings will, will all may cease to exist, but wood will still float on water. The, the tense, base, using this tense, when you use this tense, you're basically not including anything about yourself into the statement. Um... Yeah, and we can also use it uh, as a sort of, to make things feel kind of immediate, sudden, now. Um, 
and this is a great example when you're when you want to like tell a story and when you want to uh, make the story more real and more intense and you want to step up the level of of tension and uh, excitement and in the story uh you can switch and if you switch to the present simple it becomes very 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 impactful it has a lot of impact um example we were just sitting around playing backgammon when tyler suddenly walks in and starts shouting at us we have this switch from the past to the present simple um and it becomes immediate and it stops being remote um when we use the past simple, it's very remote. We put a distance between ourselves and the events we're describing, and that's fine. But sometimes, you know, to make it more real, more immediate, we can switch. And using the present simple uh, really does that very effectively. Uh, another use of the present simple, which I'm sure you're kind of thinking about, because uh, it does get taught a lot, because it's very common, is using the present simple for the future. Um we use it for the future, uh, especially for sort of scheduled stuff, right? You know, like the, the show starts at seven o'clock or the plane leaves in the morning. Um, and we use it to uh, describe things that are scheduled and um, unmovable. Because the present simple is, is objective and complete and indivisible, they feel it feels more certain and less likely to change. That's why we have this sort of scheduled feeling. The show starts at seven, the train leaves in five minutes. Um, the vase in the museum doesn't affect your life and what you do doesn't really affect the vase. And in the same way, when you say the game starts in half an hour, you're expressing the fact that you have no control over this. No one can change it. It's objectively, it's an objective truth. If you disappeared from the face of the earth or if you haven't e hadn't even been born, the game would still start in half an hour. So, yeah, you see what's happening here. You're getting this sort of objective truth. Um, uh, yeah, in a sort of philosophical sense, it's sort of God's truth or the universe's truth. Take a secular or non-secular angle as you see fit. Um, I, what I really like is that this, this happens in old-fashioned books. Uh, back in the 19th century, instead of just saying chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, etc., a lot of book chapters would also describe what happens in each chapter. And the writer would almost always use the present simple. For example, you would have something like chapter four, our hero meets his enemy and plays golf with him. Uh, this is all in the present simple. It's describing something that's going to happen in the book. But this, because it's objective and undivided, because it's the present simple, it's objective and undivided, it gives the description an element of authority. You can't argue with it. Almost much like the story before when I said, like, Tyler walked in and starts, walks in and starts shouting at us. It's immediate. Um, so it feels closer and more real. It makes it interesting, more exciting. Um, and here's one of my favourites uh, from Oliver Twist by uh, Mr. Charles Dickens. You might have heard of him. Great beard, that guy. Square beard. How did he get his beard so square? Impressive. Um, but one, uh, chapter 27 uh, is described in, a, in the chapter title like this. Chapter 27 atones for the unpoliteness of a former chapter which deserted a lady most unceremoniously. Ah, oh, the 19th century humour was, was more sophisticated, wasn't it? 
So yeah, there we have it in a nutshell. That's the present simple, pure, undivided fact. Uh, let's move on to uh, what, what's called the past simple. But again, bit of a misnomer, uh, this one, because it's not always about the past. Um, you know, you have things like, uh, could you pass the salt? Um, uh, I wish I knew. Thanks for booking an appointment with us. What was your name again? So yeah, the, the past simple is basically like the present simple um, in the sense that it's, it's an objective fact. It's complete and undivided. But there's a small difference. Now let's go back to the vase in the museum. Um, you, you're looking at this vase. It's objective, objective. It's not really related to us. We can see it, but we're not part of its life. Now, imagine the same thing. You're looking at the vase, but this time it's really far away in the distance. You, you can hardly see it. It's small on the horizon. That's how I imagine the past symbol. Same deal. It's an objective fact. It's complete, undivided, you know, God's truth or the universe's truth. But this time it's remote. It's not necessarily in the past. It's just remote and far away from us. Um, so... We use the remote form, if we want to call it that, to express things that are further away in various ways. Uh, the most common, of course, is when it's further away in time. We express that with the past. Um, I made a lot of new friends at the giraffe conference last week. But there's more. It's not just that we can express a distance of time. We can also express distance of other things, too. Um, so uh, let's say, for example, that the example I mentioned earlier, thanks for booking an appointment with us. What was your name again? So sometimes we use the past simple to make things more polite. And being polite is all about putting a respectful distance between the speaker and the listener. To be fair, this does differ from uh, culture to culture, but this happens in English a lot. We use we, we skip to the past to just create that little bit of distance and um, it, it becomes slightly more polite, slightly more respectful. So when we're asking information from someone, especially information that might be a little sensitive, like names, phone numbers, email addresses, credit card numbers, favorite type of giraffe, whatever, then sometimes it's good to use the past simple. It puts a little distance between us and the information we're asking for. Uh, it could be, you could do the same thing with requests. I mean, you probably have noticed that, you know, can you pass the salt and could you pass the salt have a slight difference in feeling? And could you pass the salt is, sounds a little bit more polite, slightly more polite. Again, yeah, that's it. We're cre creating a distance. We're using the past to put a distance. Uh, we can also um, use the, the past simple or the remote tense to um, create a distance, not of uh, time or, or social distance, but also put a distance between ourselves and reality or the statement and reality. Um, and that's when you have things like, you know, that's when we use phrases like, I tell you if I knew, or uh, I wish he'd let me go with him. You know, these are the hypothetical situations. They're not quite real. Not yet, anyway. So we express that, again, by using the past form, which isn't really about the past. It's, it's the remote form. It's about distance. Objectively true and distant. Um, and also we can use it uh, to um, put a distance between ourselves and, and possibility, to create a distance of possibility. 
Um, you know, take a jacket. It could snow later. We don't know for sure if it's going to snow or, right, or not, right? So we soften our prediction with the past form. By the way, if you can hear my washing machine right now, uh, I do apologise. Just consider it a sort of soundtrack ambience uh, to the podcast. My, uh, my washing machine spins quite violently sometimes, and it's doing so today. But yeah, imagine you're in a sort of David Lynch film or something. So yeah, um, yeah, we can create this distance uh, with uh, time. Like I went to the cinema yesterday, just using the past to distance the time from now. Um, politeness, could you pass the salt instead of can you pass the salt? Um, reality, I wish I'd, I'd met him earlier. I wish I'd known that before. Um, and, uh, and possibility, uh, it could snow tomorrow. It could snow, but we're not, we're not that sure. It, may, it might. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not making any promises. Um, yeah, so that's it. So we, that's, the, that's the tomato. We've looked at the tomato. This is like the pure forms. We got our soup. Uh, pure forms that are objective, uh, God's truth, or uni- the universe's truth. Um, and it's, they're either immediate, like right in front of us, or they're far away, distant, uh, but still a, a, a pure truth. So now we get to put like the fun things in. We get to make our soup a bit more interesting. Put some uh, like, yeah, some spicy pepper, um, a bit of maybe oregano. I don't know, whatever floats your boat. And that's when we start putting ourselves into it. We add something. Um, And in this case, we're going to add in the aspect forms that we're going to look at today, we're going to add some sort of perception of time. We're adding movement. So again, you're back in the museum. Look at the vase. The vase is there. But this time, you're not separated from the vase. Not anymore. You've had enough. You want to interact with it. So you take off the case, the glass case, ignore the alarms going off. You grab the vase. You put it on top of a remote control car that you happen to bring with you to the museum. Uh, Stick it on with some gaffer tape and uh, that's it. You start driving the vase around the museum uh, on top of the remote control car. You've given it some sort of freedom, some sort of movement, and more importantly, some sort of freedom and movement that you can control. The vase is still a vase. It doesn't change form. It's still pink. It still has giraffes on it, but you're giving it a little bit of movement. It's changing where it goes and it's got some momentum, some dynamicism. And we're going to look at three ways you can control this. Um, so let's talk about the continuous tense. This is basically driving the vase around the museum wherever. Um, I always imagine this as just taking something infinite um, and putting a beginning and an end to it. Um, you, you, when you add a continuous to something, you're sort of limiting the time. Um, it's not always defined, but it's sort of contained. Um, and the action is right in the middle of the beginning of this time and the end of this time. The beginning event and the end event. A psychological interpretation of time. I think that's how, I think that's how Mike Lewis put it. A psychological interpretation of time. Also, it's incomplete somehow. Um, And it's something that's happening in a limited period of time. Like I said, it's got this beginning event and an end event. Um, 
So let's look at some examples. And this time I want to look at some differences. Let's just compare what happens when you have a pure form and you add a continuous to it. Um, or, or any tense and you add a continuous to it. Let's see how it shifts the interpretation. Uh, I live in Burkina Faso and I'm living in Burkina Faso. They basically have the same meaning, right? We're, we're referring to exactly the same action, but there's a difference. Um, normally, when we talk about where we live, we just say, I live in Burkina Faso, which would be true if you live in Burkina Faso. Let's just assume you, you do. Uh, this, the present simple, a timeless fact you know, you live there. It's not limited. It's just where you live. But sometimes we want to send a signal to the people we're, we're talking to. Maybe we want to say, yeah, I live in Burkina Faso now, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be there forever. It doesn't totally feel like home. And I'm thinking of moving to Mali next year, you know, for the music. Because Mali does have awesome music, uh, excellent Afrobeat, jazz, stuff like that. So uh, in order to do that, we need to add a sense of limited time to our sentence. And that's when we just add the, the continuous. It puts that beginning and end event in there, or it, it gives us this sort of limited time feeling. Um, it doesn't have to be defined. We don't know. I'm living in Burkina Faso, but I will be moving at some point. It doesn't matter. You don't have to say when you're leaving. It's just you giving the signal of a limited period of time. Same fact, but with a temporary feeling. That's all it's doing. Um, let's look at another example. Uh, we'd been waiting for about an hour and we'd waited for about an hour. We had been waiting for an, about an hour. We had waited for about an hour. Well, in both cases, you waited for an hour, which is far too long. You should definitely complain. Um, yeah, back in, back of well, distant past years and years ago. Well, 20, 2017, at least. Um, I did actually write a blog post about uh, how we had waited uh, feels like you're in a helicopter looking down at a forest. The forest represents what you did. In this case, the waiting. It represents the action. Uh, you're looking down on it and you can see the whole forest. One, one indivisible thing. It's all there. Uh, and then I wrote about how we'd been waiting, when you add the continuous, it's more like being inside that forest. It's the same forest. It hasn't changed size. It hasn't changed location. It just puts you in the middle of the action. Um, that's because by adding the continuous into the mix, you're emphasizing the incompleteness of it. It's the psychological interpretation of time that makes that hour of waiting seems slower and unending, even if it does at some point end. We'd waited for an hour and we'd been waiting for an hour. There's more pain in that second sentence. You feel the boredom. You feel the frustration. We'd waited for an hour. <laughs> it's done. It's done. Forget about it. It's over. So it's the same thing, same amount of time, same waiting, same place, just a different interpretation. You create this feeling of incompleteness. Um, what about I've been learning Somali and I've learned Somali. I've been learning Somali and I've learned Somali. Hey, lots of African examples today. Well, that's cool. I didn't, I, that wasn't intentional, but, um, that's good because Africa's often under, under, uh, underrepresented in the world of English language examples. Um, so yeah, I've been learning Somali and I've learned Somali. This is similar to the helicopter and forest example. 
you've learned Somali, then congratulations. It's finished. It's complete. You've been learning Somali? Ah, how interesting. How's it going? Can you swear at the taxi drivers yet? The continuous feels incomplete. I've been learning Somali. Maybe there's more to, more to go. And, you know, probably is. I mean, with every language, it never ends. Sorry if that's the first time you've heard this news, but learning a language just, it goes on forever. Don't expect it to finish. It just, you just get better. That's all. Um, so yeah, I've been learning Somali. If you say I've learned Somali, then you're obviously saying you've reached a level that you want to be at, that it feels, feels complete. Uh, you're out of the forest and looking down on it as an entire thing. Uh, finally, this one uh, is a really good example because it's very common. We all know this, you know, the present continuous can be used to talk about the future, right? Future plans specifically. So um, it's, yeah, uh, usually presented as present continuous for future plans, which is, yeah, fair, a fair description, basically. But have you ever stopped to think about why we use the present continuous for the future? Okay, so if you... Do you remember how we looked at the continuous as a limited period of time? We have a clear beginning, a starting event, and a clear end, finishing event. This makes sense when you consider the beginning as the point in time when we made the plan and the end as the time when we actually do the plan. So we've got make plan, do plan, and we're in the middle of that. So we're actually in the middle of this long this long event, and the event is the formulation of the plan, the realization of the plan. Um, yeah, and it, it, it's a, we're in the middle of a limited and incomplete action, and our action won't be complete until the plan has happened. I'm, I'm visiting. I'm visiting Belfast next year. Like this is, we're in the middle of a big action that is only complete once I visit Belfast in the future. Yes, yeah, so there we go. The progressive or continuous aspect creates some sort of limit, a feeling of incompleteness and being in the middle of something. Okay, now let's get that vase again. Let's go back to the vase, the pink vase with giraffes. Okay, so we've, we've got the vase and it's on, it's on top of our remote control that we took into the museum with us. And... Um, this time, rather than just randomly moving it around back and forth across the museum, which would kind of represent the continuous aspect in this metaphor, um, why not just hit reverse? Let's just go backwards, see what happens. Um, and that's what the perfect aspect does. When, you, when we learn this stuff at school, we always, we always sort of learn like in different in different times we learn the present perfect first and then the past perfect and we don't do future perfect till we're like in upper intermediate or whatever and yeah i mean it's true like we should pace ourselves all the time but we should also remember that all of these tenses are kind of the same the future perfect the past perfect the present perfect perfect with modals perfect with other verbs um it's doing the same thing. Um, all it is doing, like with the vase going backwards on the remote control car, is looking back from a certain point in time. This is the thing about the perfect tenses. We get 
we get these complicated descriptions at school. You know, we use the past perfect to describe actions happening before a point in the past. We use the present perfect to describe actions that started in the past and are still happening now, or the effect is still continuing now. Uh, we use the future perfect to describe an action that will be completed before a particular time. It's all too confusing, too convoluted. I mean, yeah, maybe we need to really think about things in detail like this, but also there is these, this easier way of looking at it. We're just looking back. You're talking about the past and you want to look back, use the past perfect. You're talking about now and you want to look back, use the present perfect. You're talking about the future and you want to look back, throw in have and you have a future perfect. You're talking hypothetically, using something like would or might, just add have, make it perfect. Oh, that sounds good. Make it perfect. That's it. Just add have and you're reversing the car or you're looking backwards or however you want to look at this. Um, we're looking back and we're looking at the landscape and seeing everything between where we are and the point we're looking to. And we see everything in between as well. So let's have a look at some examples because examples make everybody happy. Have you ever visited the Burj Khalifa? Uh, have you ever? Classic. Probably most people's introduction to the present perfect. Um, have you ever visited the Burj Khalifa is about more is more about your experience now, not in the past. Once you've answered this question, we can continue how we can decide how to continue the conversation. That's why, you know, you've shaved your hair off is more about your status now, not the experience of cutting your hair. Remember, you are holding the remote control. You are not the vase on the car. So whenever we use the present perfect, it's still about now. It's still about our state now but we're looking back at the car, which is going backwards. Um, I've been waiting here for ages. It's more about how annoyed you are now, not so much the experience of waiting. Um, also, you should totally complain. No one should wait for that long. Um, yeah, and it works exactly the same in the past. Um, uh, I'd, I'd already seen him when you arrived. Okay, so we keep a connection with the present by using the present perfect, so it makes sense if we're talking about the past. We can do exactly the same thing, right? And we can. When we want to look back from a point in the past, we use the perfect again. But this time it's the past perfect. It's the same thing. You're holding the remote. You're looking back at the car. Where are you? Are you now look, holding the remote now? Then you you're using the present perfect. You're holding the remote in the past and looking back, then it's the past perfect. There's no real difference. It's the same shape. Um, I will have seen him when you arrive, or to say it more naturally, I'll have seen him when you arrive. Uh, if you're talking about the future, it's the same. One point in the future, looking back, there's a connection, a electro a radio connection between the car and your remote control. There's something connecting you, but essentially you are there in the future. There's no real reason to imagine these as different concepts. All we need to know now is that we're looking back from some point in time. Or not time. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so not all sentences in English are, are about any particular time. Uh, let's look at the, they must have had to wait. It's a modal verb. Modal verbs don't really necessarily refer to time. Um, uh, with must, we're using uh, a modal verb to be speculative. So it's not based on any time. But again, 
we're looking back. Modal verbs like must don't really have a past tense, but that's fine. We can just push it back with have. Um, I like having written. Yeah, this is a, this is a famous line, wasn't it? Uh, I can't remember the writer, um, but I think she said, I, I don't like writing, but I like having written. Um, so we got two verbs in this sentence, right? So when are we looking back from? In this case, the verb like is the present simple. It's timeless. I like uh, having written. When you have two verbs, you know, you have this ing to thing. Uh, I want to go out or I enjoy doing it. But when you want the second one to go back, but the first one to keep its meaning, you just add have. I hope to have finished by four o'clock. I like having written. I enjoy having been here. It doesn't matter. We just look back from whenever that first verb is. Okay, cool. So that's the perfect thing. So the perfect thing is just looking back. It's just some sort of reflective thing. Finally, I'm going to surprise you. I think, I hope, perhaps, who knows? Let's find out. So what happens when we take the car out of reverse and we put it, put it forward, we push it, put the car in forward mode? Forward mode? Is that the technical term? I don't care. I'm going to, I'm going to use it. Uh, so this is basically like the present perfect, but instead of looking forward, looking back, we're looking forward, right? Okay, so this tense, uh, this is when we would use going to. I'm going to meet him next weekend. That's right. Going to is kind of like the brother of present perfect. One looks back, the other looks forward, and we see everything in between. Now, when we use going to, it's most often from now. You know, I'm going to meet him next week. Um, looking forward into the future from now. And this is why going to is often categorized as uh, a, pr a future form, because it's most often used in the future. So that's kind of fair enough. But it, it's not necessarily. It, it's looking forward from any point in time, or even not time, if we're using a modal like must or would or could. Um it's also like the present perfect when you're looking like the perfect tense, when you're looking back, you're looking back at a point, but you can see everything in between. I've been waiting for two hours. You feel everything from that point two hours ago up until now. And in the same way, we sort of have this sort of trail of evidence for going to coming up, leading up to the event. So when we use going to, we're looking backwards and forwards. So let's look at some examples to make that really clear. Uh, I'm going to do it. Really simple, uh, uncreative example. Never mind. We'll, we'll live with that, yeah? Okay. Um, the answer is more creative than the example. So going to is about looking forward, right? But how is it different from the present continuous? Remember, we can use a present continuous to talk about the future too. Uh, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm going to do it. What's the difference? Well, in terms of meaning, the answer is, drum roll please, nothing. There's no difference. They're both making a statement about the future. But because this is the aspects side of things, this is the, the, the spices and the onion and the herbs in your soup, they, they don't change the meaning of the action, but they both signal something different about how you feel about the action. When you use the continuous, I'm doing it, we're showing that we've already made a plan. You know, we made the plan in the past. We'll do the plan in the future. We're right in the middle of this, this uh, limited 
action. Uh, they're leaving tomorrow. We're in the middle of the plan. It's all sorted out. We can relax. The plan's been made. It's going to be done in the future. Everything's cool. But going to is, a much, is much more connected to now. When we have our vase on a remote control truck, a remote control car in the in the in the museum, um, probably at the same time as running away from security guards. By now, um, it's passing us fast. We need to think quickly about where it's going to go next. Sure, we definitely need to look forward and decide where we're going or where the car's going, rather, with the vase, the precious, expensive vase. But we also need to look back and ask ourselves some questions. How fast is it going? Which direction is it coming from? Is it going straight or is it turning a corner? We take the events that lead up to now, look at them and make a decision about where to go next. And that's how going to works. It's all about making a decision or a prediction about what happens next based on what's happened up until now. It's more dynamic. It's Going to is, is something passing us right now and we're, we're making a decision about where it's going to go that's why we say things like i'm going to sneeze because i can feel it right now or it's going to rain because look look at the massive dark clouds of course it's going to rain or what are we going to do now because although there's no plan we need to make a decision based on what's happened so far yeah that's quite a good example what are we going to do now instead of what are we doing now what are we doing now is saying, what is the plan that we established earlier? What are we going to do now is like, let's make a plan now because we're in trouble. Uh, more examples. Let's, uh, so this is looking at the future from now, looking forward from now. But again, like with the perfect, we can move this anywhere. It works in the same way everywhere else. I was going to tell you yesterday, but we were interrupted. So when we use going to, we're basically talking about some sort of decision. Maybe the, maybe the decision was made in the past about the past. I was going to tell you yesterday, but we were interrupted. Sometimes the decision was made in the past about the future. I was going to tell you tomorrow, but since you're here, I'll tell you now. Let me run those by you one more time, just to be clear. I was going to tell you yesterday, but we were interrupted. Something, a decision in the past, made in the past, about the past. I was going to tell you tomorrow, but since you're here, I'll tell you now. A decision in the past, made in the past, but about the future. Um, yeah, so again, it's the same thing. It's, it's looking at uh, things that have happened before, up to now, and making a decision about what happens after that. Um, another example, I've been going to tell you for ages. I've been going to tell you for ages. Going to is all about potential. When you use going to, you're not making a statement about the future. You're making a statement about how the future looks from now or before or whenever it is you're going to is. These plans don't exist in the future. They exist now in I'm going to or in the past I was going to. Or in this case, over a period of time. I've been going to tell you for ages. This is a plan that's repeatedly been existing and being reformulated and redecided. Decision being reasserted again and again and again. 
Um, let's make it hypothetical. They must be going to build the bridge here. So yeah, you're, you're looking uh, at the river and you, you see some, you know they're going to build a, a new bridge in the town. Um, and you, you see like some beginnings of some work by the river while you're, you're walking your dog down there. Um, you can say that they must be going to build the bridge here. Uh, this doesn't really exist in any time. It's not past, present or future. It's just a hypothetical thing. It's just a, 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 a prediction. Um, it's all, but it's still about looking forward. They must be going to build the bridge here. And yeah, that's it. So the, those uh, perfect forms and those, those going to forms are kind of the same thing. Just one's looking back, one's looking forward. And that's it. That's how we make our soup. Um, very quickly recap, we've got the tomato and the water, the very purest base forms for our tomato soup. And they're pure and undivided. Present simple, pure, undivided, immediate fact. Past simple, pure, undivided, distant fact. Not past necessarily, just distant. Um, continuous forms, some sort of limit, uh, some sort of sense of incompleteness, some sort of sense of being in the middle of stuff. Um, perfect forms, looking back, looking back from any sort of point, looking back from the past, looking back from the present, looking back from the future, looking back from another verb, looking back from like a hypothetical place in your mind or an assumption, whatever. It's just looking back and going to exactly the same but looking forward. I guess going to has that extra thing about um, you're looking back and forward because you're making a decision now about the future. But going to is very much tied and connected to the present, if you're using the present, or the past, if you're using the past, or the whatever, the future, if you're using the future, the point in time that you're using. Right, cool. That was all a bit meta, wasn't it? It was all a bit, bit hardcore and, and interesting and weird and maybe a little difficult to follow. But don't worry, um, I've got show notes um, for each uh, episode of the podcast. If you go to clarkandmiller.com, uh, there'll be a PDF of the show notes that you can just download for free. And it's uh, a bunch of like um, points, pointers for, for the post. It outlines the ideas in the post. So you can have another look. And... Um, you could also listen again with the uh, notes that would really help you as well if you really want to get your head around this um i didn't really want to look into modal forms um that's another thing for another day um i didn't want to make this podcast this episode too long so perhaps we'll do modals another time if you really really want to hear a bit more of this sort of thing um, and we're looking more deeply into modal forms, uh, then send me an email. It's gabriel at clarkandmiller.com. That's gabriel at clarkandmiller.com. My name at my website. And yeah, request, request that. And if, if anyone does, if I get enough of those, uh, then sure, uh, I will do another one on those. In the meantime, thanks so much. Um, you've been a joy to talk to, as always. Um, stay safe out there if you're listening uh, now-ish as the, uh, as the corona crisis continues to, um, to go on. So stay safe, wash your hands. And if you're listening from the future, I'd really like to know what that's like. So please send me an email. All right. Thanks very much. Take care.